But what I find out within six months is he set up another business inside my business and he's now trading this other company and all the good staff that he hires, the programmings and stuff he puts on his side of the business, not mine. And I'm going, man, this is crazy. And he doesn't think it's a problem. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. This episode is sponsored by ASTOTS Academy, which offers online courses that help investors, aspiring professionals, business leaders, and even beginners to improve the finances of their lives and also of their businesses. Go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now to claim your discount on the course that excites you the most. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts, and I'm here with featured guest, John North. John, are you ready to rock? I am. (laughs) (laughs) So John North is a seven-time number one international selling author about business strategy and internet marketing and his passion for squash, and as he says, not the vegetable. John is CEO of Evolve Systems Group and has created many products and services designed to empower business owners, including Evolvepreneur.app, Evolvepreneur.club, and Evolve Global Publishing. John's passion is to help business owners become more strategic and smarter about their marketing efforts. He constantly pushes the envelope of what's possible in the modern era and is widely regarded among his peers as highly innovative and highly creative in his approach. John, fill in a few tidbits about your life. Hey, Gun. Thanks for that. Cool intro. Yeah, I might employ you to do mine sometime. <laughs> yes, you're hired. I'm hired. <laughs> I live in Sydney and I do have a passion for squash. I play squash five times a week competitively. So it's not just like I just go for the manual slow hit. I just actually go in for a five days a week squash. So, so basically, yeah, so it's something to keep busy. And obviously it was very bad with, through, through the, latest, with the pandemic because I couldn't go and play until about three months ago. So I had to keep walking and it's like walking is not as exciting as squash. So, so yeah, I live in Sydney. I've got a, a wife and a son who's working. Son works for me full time in the business, and we basically do publishing books and our online platform. So that's kind of me at the moment. And, uh, and one question is, when you went back to playing squash after taking the the three months or so off, what was your body like? I mean, how much adjustment was there to get it back into competitive? You know, well, it was actually quite funny because we were playing black market squash at one point there, right? So what happened was this other club that it wasn't my club, this other club was actually running a scenario where you could book the, the whole club to yourself like you and one other player and you went in there and you had the key and you went in there like clandestine and you played squash and then you just couple back out again and you close the door and no one else was there so it was, it was very safe because no one else was there and they'd, mm. they'd have separate courts so you didn't play in the same court as someone else and they'd clean and stuff and so we started playing that with my son and when I first I hadn't played for about two months and started playing god I was feeling like I fall apart right so we're lucky to sort of have some games before we started back in because when we started back all these other players are going oh I got a COVID belly now I've got I got all these other like they couldn't they were all the injuries chopped up and stuff like that even that even my back started playing up because the five mm. times a week is a bit different than playing once a week or twice a week so yeah so it was a bit squash is the sort of sport that they always say don't get fit to play squash Sorry, don't be, don't use squash to get fit, get fit before. 
But when you're playing five dollars times a week, it's easy to be that to reverse that. But it's hard on your body. So if you don't keep up with it, then you know basically it'll knock you over quick smart. <laughs> so yeah. well, I think there's a lot of people listening that you know are figure, trying to figure out how to get back into you know fitness and exercise routine mm-hmm. after being kind of shut down. I know in in Thailand where I am, you know, luckily we never went into like a a full scale lockdown as has happened, for instance, in the Philippines. Mm. But in that case, it has allowed me to go out every morning and walk. Mm. And so I always, you know, kept walking. And then I started riding my bike early in the morning. And now yoga studios and other places are open again. So, you know, we're back at it. But for everybody listening out there, you know, it's critical to, to get back into that routine. And, you mm. know, the COVID mm. belly's got to go. Because <laughs> in Australia, like we were essentially locked down for two months. We were allowed to out to exercise and buy essential foods for nearly two months. So it was a long haul. And then Melbourne actually had nearly four months of it. And I remember seeing someone on the news saying this building was at a coffee shop. It's like anywhere but my house. Right. <laughs> they were glad to be anywhere but my house. But they'd had enough of being at home. And I think that's the thing that gets crazy. So I went in and out. I went into COVID and came out of COVID at the same weight. So I started walking. And then since then, I've lost about six kilos. So it's pretty good. So I've got a couple more to go. So I've probably Fantastic. played the best squash for Fantastic. a long time now. <laughs> All right. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Yeah. And, and so mine's a bit about a partnership that went badly, bad, really bad. And, and I've had partnerships in the, over time and I've kind of learned some lessons of it. And I don't even know why at this stage I went into this thing. Like I looked at rose colored glasses. So the picture was we had, we had a software distribution company my essentially a competitor in, in the other side of Australia had a similar distribution, but he had a situation where he he was a competitor. So, the, but the problem was that this competitor bought out my company in terms of the head office. So basically, they become merged. So suddenly, he was my competitor with a totally different solution. Now he was selling my solution plus his solution, but I wasn't allowed to sell his solution, even though I was an exclusive distributor. So that they just changed the rules. So the, the, what I realized with the agreements was they weren't the piece, piece of paper they're written on. And one of the comments was, you, you want to stop this? You'd like holding back the tide. So that was what I got told by my supplier. So we thought, oh, it makes sense. Let's merge. You know, let's merge. So we went and had a conversation, went through everything, looked pretty good. He was sending up similar mums to me. So we did a 50-50 partnership split and we set a date. And he came to Sydney and the day that I was having a meeting, I had a car accident. <laughs> so it wasn't really bad, but bad enough. I got hit by this truck. So I was a bit phased, you know. <laughs> and so, but I still had the meeting and stuff. I just bumped my head a little bit. So that was a bad sign. I should have realized that was like the world of us have stopped. <laughs> anyway, went ahead. Turned out we didn't check the financials very well. And he has a Porsche. And I was paying his Porsche payments, as it turns out. And he had a very expensive office in Perth. And over the period of time, and, and also he came out for a meeting, we played everything out, and then he went back and he announced the merger before he actually announced anybody. So he completely destroyed the relationship that everybody he had with us. We're suddenly the bad guys. So mm. now we're in this situation where we're trying to damage control because we realize this guy's do something wrong and then apologize later type of person, right? So I think Trump <laughs> right, does something wrong, apologize. maybe he apologizes later, maybe he doesn't, right? And so, yeah, so anyway, what I find out within six months is he set up another business inside my business and he's now training this other company and all the good staff that he hires, the programmings and stuff he puts on his side of the business, not mine. 
And I'm going, man, this is crazy. And he doesn't think it's a problem. And also he leaves at five o'clock because his previous business partner was in hospital back in the fax days and he's getting faxes and he's on his death door and he's reading these faxes trying to keep his business running. And this guy said, I don't want to be like that. So he goes home at five o'clock, starts at nine, goes in front, doesn't work extra hours. And so this is a partner from hell, right? Mm-hmm. I think, okay, let's get rid of him. And I had a girl working for me. She said, let's just pay him out. Let's get rid of him. And what I decided, so I'll give you, I worked out roughly what his business was worth. So I said, here's half a million dollars. We'll pay you off over time and we'll do that and we'll get rid of you, right? What I realized was he, he said yes too quickly. So what I should have done was halve that value and come back and say, here's 250K and said, see what happens, right? First lesson, mm. whatever number you think of, halve it or double it, depending on your circumstances. Yep. And you never know, right? You always come down and meet in the middle. We never negotiated. He just said, yep, kind, send me the paperwork. I go, oh, shit, I've done the wrong, I've totally wrong price, too late now. So anyway, that's great, fine, no worries. Got rid of him, started paying him 10 grand a month for the next four years or whatever it was. And then my supplier decides to attack me. So my supplier now decides that they're going to bring someone else into the country and a third party to actually sell the same stuff as me and steal all my customers. So within a 12-month period, we had this war going on where basically they were stealing my, my dealers and my customers and their business dropped by 50%. Here I'm trying to pay this guy 10 grand a month <laughs> and the money's going down and we tried to fight them. Again, it's like you're holding back the tide. And so we went through a seven-year war over that. And so the worst problem was that I paid him too much for it and then it was worthless at the end, right? So it was like, cost me, I don't know, millions, in the end, we sold the company. I sold it twice, actually, interesting enough, because I actually sold it to a re- half my business to a reseller who bought off the distributor I sold it to. So I was getting commission from him and commission from the distributor <laughs> and the commission from the other. So I got some money back, never got anywhere near what I got back. But that's what pushed me into, into marketing and starting a whole new business because, hey, you know, I had no choice in the end. But we fought that company for seven years and our business was going backwards all the time. Like it was never likely to go up. And as soon as we tried to do anything different, like had a new product or something, we got accused of being disloyal to that company. We actually had to fly to South Africa and pretend we forgave them all to get our, keep our business for another 12 months to survive. Mm. And so we basically said, we forgive you, you know, and, and also forgive them because South Africa, very much a, um, you know, the you know, whole apartheid thing and the, you know, the truth and reconciliation thing where they all got together and said they were sorry and moved on bullshit, but that's what they said. Mm. And that's what I did. I pulled that off and we managed to get another 12 months on this ridiculous target. We were never going to meet that gave us time to sell the business. It took me 12 months to sell the business distributor and stuff. So it was a nightmare and seven years and it gave me bowel cancer. I'm sure of it because right. I had bowel cancer about two years after that. So when that guy, you know, that famous actor died of bowel cancer, same cancer, I got diagnosed back in the same year, 2016. Mm. And I, I came out, I actually diagnosed early enough to have operation and not have to have chemo. But I reckon that just helped, right? So that was a horror story, but I learned so much out of it. But Let's yeah. go through what you learned because I'm really interested. Yeah. I mean, the story is powerful, but what mm. lessons did you learn? Well, it was interesting. One of the things I learned that, Two things, never trust your supplier because <laughs> they're more they're smarter than they think you think they are. But secondly, own your own stuff. See, our biggest problem was I own nothing. I was a distributor. I was a person in the middle and your distributor, the trouble with the distributor is if they're really, really successful, they'll bring someone else in the country and take over. If you're not very successful, they'll shut you down. So somewhere in between, you've got to be reasonably successful but not too successful because you get screwed in the middle 
And I actually took that company over for free because they were about to, it was almost bankrupt and I took it over and saved it. And I was, prom, you know, I was basically promised exclusive distributed and never got that, right? So the promises I were given were never kept. Mm. So what I realized was that's why we created the Evolve brand. And I sort of looked at Richard Branson. I thought, well, he has Virgin Rail and Virgin Books or whatever, right? I'll call it Evolve something. So that's how we kind of evolved and said, okay, everything's going to be called Evolve. Mm. And that's how we did it. So, but I own my own brand, own your own customers. And that was the thing I now owned nothing. I, I get these letters that said, you're not allowed to contact this person ever again. So the, the transfer between software, because it's a software company, the transfer from that customer to the other distributor, they sign a piece of paper to say, I'm not to contact them never, ever again. So I lost that customer forever. Could never mm. go back and try and recover them. And I, everything was set against me. Yeah. And we fought for seven years. So I learned a lot about business survival, I've got to tell you, because they breached every single rule of the uh, Company Tradings Act in Australia. So there's eight of them, and they breached every single one of them. And one question before we get into kind of what I'm, what I learned from this is what did you learn about, you know, your energy in, I mean, obviously you mentioned about the bowel cancer and, you know, what did you learn, you know, about your energy and, you know, was it worth it to fight for seven years? I mean, I have a friend of mine, I'll tell you a story that a friend of mine, Mm. he started a very successful bank and he started with a couple of other guys and particularly one other guy, but and they, the bank, we're talking about probably his value in that was, I don't know, 300, 400 million US. No. And then they had a split and they had a fight and they had a legal battle. And the legal battle went on for almost 10 years. And, you know, he was just almost dying fighting mm. this thing, although mm. he was very competitive and he was yeah. very, you know, smart. And a friend of mine kept saying, you know, I don't understand why he keeps going like this, you know, and I'm like, are you going to walk away from $400 million? Yeah, yeah. You know, or whatever that number is. I'm the lottery, right? (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, in the end, after almost 10 years, you know, he won and he got a settlement and, you know, it was resolved. But, you know, there was a lot of energy expended that you could Mm. argue you know, if it was $10 million, well, for the average person, $10 million is, is a lot, but for him, it wasn't, you know, but at that level, I'm just curious, what was your experience about that? You know, it was kind of similar because when I arrived in Sydney, because my previous business had gone not, not broke, but basically shut it down. And that was in, in North Queensland because of GST came in, new tax came in that completely destroyed my business overnight, 80% down because everybody bought accounting software and then they didn't want it anymore. Right. They were, and they were scared to spend any money because the new tax was out. Right. And so when I arrived in, in New South in Sydney, I had $50 in my wallet. That was it. And so they gave me a job at six months. I'd only been employed six months in the last 30 years, and that was it. And so I got that job. And so I spent the next six months recovering and then took the company over, and we were doing really well and starting to get somewhere. And I had like 100 grand sitting in the bank for the first time in my life getting somewhere. So my fear was losing that. But the problem was we threw so much at it. I'm still paying that debt back. I had to pay the tax office back a half a million dollars. I personally had to pay it back. So I spent three years doing that. And so I've been paying back debt for that thing. And to this day, I still pay back debt. Mm. So it was sort of like trying to solve that problem financially in my head. If I fought them and we won, I don't know how I was going to win. If we fought them and won, then we'd get somewhere. But it was a 12-month agreement. It wasn't worth anything, right? Yeah. And my business was worthless and I didn't, and it's, it's like, it's at the end of the day, we had nothing else to choose. And I, we sort of fought and fought and fought, but our idea was we'll transition to something else and it'll work and we'll move away from them. Screw them. 
right, we've got the infrastructure, we've got the, you know, 23 staff, we've got premises, we've got thousands of customers, surely the goodness we can turn something around. That was the principle because I had to fire 23 people otherwise. So it was like too much to lose. But when I look back at it, I I don't know whether they would have paid me enough money to pay me out. Like there was a couple of numbers thrown around at the time. Look, we'll pay, you know, it was such low numbers. It wouldn't even cover my costs to get out of it. So it was like had no choice but to stick it out and try and make myself the thorn in their side. And and you know what? Every year they'd say I was going to go broke that year. And we lasted seven years. So we really, in fact, we nearly sent the other guys broke. If I had actually held out a little longer and kept the prices low like we did, we would have put him out of business. I didn't know that. Mm. Six month window, we would have won that war. Yep. But we, we didn't know. So let, let me summarize what I took away from your mm. story. I think there's a few things that I was thinking about. And the first one is that business is about trust and personalities. Yeah. Not about products and all of that. You know, that product is a secondary item. But, you know, the people that you work with and the trust that you have. And I think for a lot of young people in particular, they learn business from books and this and, you know, all that. And they, they miss that trust element. So this is a great example of the importance of that. The second thing is, you know, there's external factors, you know, that, that hit us. We have in one of my businesses, we have a a supply agreement with a high-end company that's that's selling espresso machines and you know they've come and said well we want to put in two suppliers in you know thailand and ah, yes that's what I, that's where they started with me exactly <laughs> that's like a warning sign <laughs> exactly and so in fact we were just strategizing about that last night and this gives me some you know some things to think about as we continue mm-hmm. and then uh, also I, I did some research a while ago on M&A deals globally. I looked at 5,000 M&A deals across the world. And I did two pretty simple things in an academic style of research. First thing I did is I asked the question, what was the share price performance of the company that was acquiring and the company that was being acquired? And what we found was the company that was being acquired was a little bit more, went up a little bit more because of the bidding process and all that. But on average, across 5,000, it wasn't by that much. And part of that is because we looked at the announcement date and then we used that kind of as a time that a public investor would be able to get into it. So we found that some countries, you know, are really, the information is leaking out, you know, before the deal. But the second thing was is more important to me is what happened to the return on investment of the, the buying company, the parent company, and what we did is we looked at the return on invested capital and we asked the question between three to five years, what percent of the time was in return on invested capital increase versus decrease? And we found that 80% of the time, the return on invested capital fell after three to five years after an M&A deal. And okay. it taught, taught me a lesson that, you know, you really, really have to have a skill in mergers and acquisitions as a mm-hmm. company to make it work. Otherwise it fails and it fails because of a clash of culture. And that's going to say culture was the one that's what we had a trouble with because the guy had sold the business or merged the business. First he'd sold it. That's what in mind realized, realized my mistake. Then it wasn't a merger. We weren't leveraging each other. He was getting out (laughs) and he had owed a lot of money as we turned out too. He had to pay all these suppliers as well as part of the merger deal. And it turns out, and so, yeah, he was trying to get out. So he destroyed the relationships with, for us on the way through. He didn't introduce us properly. He said, oh, these guys are taking you over. You know, I'm not, don't talk to me anymore. And again, and it's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. you know? And that 
the last lesson I take away is the difference between a job and a business. You know, in a sense, what you described previously of not owning your clients, not owning your brand, not owning your products, not owning your services is mm. ultimately you may think you have a business, but actually you just have a job. Yeah, yeah. It's a fandom business and, and, and a job to appease them who change their, they were just changing the rules every year too, by the way. So they'd come in and go, new settings, we want to make this as your new targets and stuff. So you had this a crazy person running your business that you had no ch choice but to kind of follow. Yeah, and in some countries, I know Thailand, the employee rights are pretty strong. You mm. probably have a lot more protections as an employee than as a business oh, partner in that kind of a situation. So Yeah, 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 absolutely. So yeah, I think... I think seeing it from the outside and taking a, a look up and looking at the risks, we we sort of went with the flow because we, it seemed logical. It yep. seemed natural to do this. Mm. And in the big picture, it did look log obvious and natural. But when you look at the underlying thing, we didn't look at his financials deep enough. He didn't give me enough information he should have. He was His personality wasn't taken into account when we talked to him. Mm. Right. So we didn't take those. those. And I had a girl that was really good at picking this stuff up, like, but she didn't pick it up. So let's go back in time to mm -hmm. when you were making your decision. And I'm going to want you to think about that and also think about the listener out there who's facing the same exact situation right now of coming together with his business or her business and another's. And I'm going to ask you this question, which is based on what you learned from this story and what you continue mm -hmm. to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? And I think you got to, I look about this, come back to the scenario, why did I do it, right? And I think I did it out of fear. Because what happened was if I fear the unknown, if we, if we don't merge with this guy, we lose control, we're suddenly a competitor against us. What happens then? What happens then? Reality was that based on his business, if we'd known more about him, we could have killed him in the business. We, he was useless. Like he was bad. Our service was so much better. We could have just massacred that guy and cost us nothing. Mm. But we didn't think that way. We actually came from fear. So we made a decision from fear. And I think if I had stepped back a little bit and thought, well, what if we do this instead, what happens? It's a great lesson. And for the listeners out there, you know, take a step back from the deals that you're doing right now and the interactions that you have and make sure to assess to what extent are we doing this because of fear. Mm. And, you know, sometimes fear is very healthy, but other times it drives us to consider, it drives us to consider doing something that may not make sense it drives us to do things too quickly and not pay attention to the details. And, you know, I'm, I, it's just such a valuable lesson, John, from my mm. own business and my own life that mm. it's a great reminder for all of us. So last question. A, a nice comment actually on that subject was I heard a great saying from a very famous investor in Australia at the time, and he's only Rifkin, he's dead now, but he used to say, if you can handle the downside, you can handle the upside. <laughs> and that was his investing. And I think that's a very good thing to think about. Can you handle the downside? What's the worst that can happen? Yep. Will it matter in 10 years time? Mm. And nothing yeah. much does. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. All right. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Our goal was to launch our, our platform in a big way and, and this sort of pandemic thing kind of made it a bit interesting because, and then an election coming up and all this stuff going on. And so actually interesting, the floodgates opened this morning after the election of getting all these inquiries and we had nothing for like weeks. So you can see was people being pent up waiting for what something, I don't know. Mm. So, the, so basically my goal is to get the software off the ground, particularly in, a, in an area of podcasting. We want to be a game changers in, in certain industries and podcasting is one of them. And also, so our goal in the next 
is really produce a killer finish off this app that we we've got much more features to go with big three months sprint to kind of get this thing really working and then have a big 21 in terms of a launch uh, to me it's a hundred million dollar company if i can make it work right fantastic fantastic well listeners there you have it another story of loss to keep you winning Remember to go to myworstinvestmentever.com to claim your discount on the course that excites you the most. Now, as we conclude, John, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of Ace Dots Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Yeah, I guess own your own stuff. <laughs> and yeah. And be always looking at the big picture. I think that's the thing is when people don't go step back much and have a look, go away, holiday, something, do something. Don't just sit there and make a big decision on, on a day. I think we've got the episode title right there. Own your own stuff. It's a, <laughs> it's a great, great message. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our well. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott saying, I'll see you on the upside.